Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Steve. And you're listening to Voulez-Vous with Zach and Steve. Today is the episode where we talk about our mom. The record Voulez-Vous. God damn it. <laughs> I like how you sighed when you heard about your mom being on this. No, we're going to talk about the record Voulez-Vous. We're really excited. Cue the music. Hi Zach. I saw um, I saw The Martian last night. Have you seen The Martian yet? No, but before we see The Martian, why don't we introduce our guest? Yeah, let's introduce our special (laughs) guest. I am so happy because we have a good friend and an incredibly talented musician, our friend Rod Thomas. Hello. Hi. Hi Hi. Rod. Um, Rod, we're so happy you're here after all your years in Matchbox (laughs) Twenty. Do you get that joke a lot? Um. Uh, thankfully not. <laughs> is he still gigging? He is, yeah. Do you know what's uh, f- weird about him is like, like wherever I go, people mishear my name Rod as Rob. So when I was doing music under my own name, people thought it was Rob Thomas, so they, they talk about Matchbox 20. So I changed my stage name to Bright Light, Bright Light, and a few months later, he released a song called Bright Light, and I was like, no. what <laughs> the fuck? He's on your channel. F- yeah. It's, it's very weird. Life is very strange sometimes. There's something strange with names, too, mm-hmm. where I, I feel like somehow it does influence your personality and things about you, so maybe you're drawn towards similar things having a similar May- name. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Thankfully, the hair and the tone has <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kept its own. I think you mostly play solo now, Rob Thomas. Yeah, I think so. Like at casinos and shit. Living nice. or just like at a slot machine. Yeah, <laughs> he's just sitting at the guitar. Yeah, be like, just put the coins in. <laughs> Taking up a stool. I need them. Um, so for people who might not know your music because they're buttholes, what? Uh, how would you describe your music? Um, I would describe it as um, electronic pop music that is very melody and story driven. Um, a lot of my influences are like big storytellers, like Björk and Kate Bush and. Um, Tori Amos, David Bowie, Elton John. So it's very lyrical. It's very um, sort of like has one foot in the 80s and 90s and one foot in the current day. Over my skin, yes, you know I can feel it. Turns every breath to a scream. I'm shouting aloud just how much I need it here in the heart of me. So now when I say I'm in love, I mean What does your ideal fan look like? Not physically. Uh, Don't like talk about like nice arms. Um they look like um a really fun Christmas party. Ooh. So you make holiday music, is what I'm hearing. I would love to make <laughs> holiday music. <gasps> have you ever written a Christmas song? Yes. I have, actually, yeah. <laughs> What's it's it called? hard to write a Christmas song. It's, it's called The Magic of, of the Christmas. Stefan's on it. From Santa Barra's. Yeah. What record is that on? Is it on the it's, Blueprint um, No, it's under the band name Hunks and Friends. I did it with, it was like a collaborative thing. So we did like an indie supergroup Christmas a couple oh. of years ago. So Christmas songs are hard to write. They they are quite hard to write, yeah. Why? 
Because there's so many of them, and you don't want to do something... I mean, how many times can you say, like, Christmas is amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, without it being too trite or too twee. Um, so you can maybe add a bit of humour, like some of my favourite ones, is like the waitress's Christmas wrapping. <gasps> um, covered by the Spice Girls on their covered, goodbye single. Yeah, really? Covered by the Spice yeah. Girls. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hard to do like an interesting take on a Christmas track. Yeah. I think. I wrote one Christmas song, and it was for my friend Anne and Damien, who we talked about in the episode we just recorded, mm-hmm. where they, they have like a Christmas show every year. Uh-huh. So I wrote one where I think I imagined all three of us as like homeless and or sad people. Yeah. And it was called Home Sweet Home. And it was about like, oh. it was like slightly seasonal. It was yeah. less about Christmas, but about the season in general. And Was it based on your love home. of um, Cheryl Crow's home? <laughs> no, but imagine. <laughs> no, it was more wistful. It was me trying to be like a, a Stephen Parker, I guess. Was that, no, Stephen Foster. It was oh. my attempt to do like a late 20th century frontier ballad, I think. I like that. Um, a lot you... of the great Christmas songs were written in the same, it seems like, one 10 or 15 year period. Yeah. And they all have that kind of... 1976 to 1995. Exactly. exactly. All the best ones. Mm-hmm. No other Mariah song, though. Come on. That's true. The That's Mariah one, the one is excellent. It's absolutely Is that the last amazing. classic? The most recent classic? Yeah, I think it's probably the most famous recent classic. One that people still love to hear and yeah. hasn't really aged. No, it hasn't. It hasn't aged a minute. I think Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree should be up there, because it's, like, just as jaunty. Oh, yeah, but it will never be. It's too mod. <laughs> it's No, it's too modern. Like, it's not... It didn't come at a time where people were still really into buying, like, new Christmas singles. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, I think her fans will always love it, and, like, pop gays will. <laughs> But I don't think general consensus will ever kind of really embrace that song as much as the others. Maybe it'll come back. I just remember hearing it, I was like, this is the first Christmas song I've heard since Mariah Carey's song. Where I was like, this sounds slightly timeless, it's got a great energy, and it just has got rhythm for days. That's great, but it sounds exactly like what I want for Christmas is you, which is what Christmas songs to lots of people are about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All I want for Christmas is you does a good job, especially production-wise, it feels very kind of classic Phil Spector, mm-hmm. Motowny mm-hmm. in the production, but it still sounded current for yeah. 1994. The video helped Which is to make to it seem cool, timeless. yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Would you ever write a patriotic song? Um, no. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm intrigued, I was always tickled by the idea of someone who's like, I don't know, the people like country, I just really like to just like to write patriotic songs. Not even that you are patriotic, but you just find, like, I'm just really good at it. I can't even imagine where I'd begin with a patriotic <laughs> song. I mean, Irving Berlin, who was an immigrant Jew, gave us our our best American patriotic song Which and is? our best Christmas song. He wrote uh, America the Beautiful. Okay. And he wrote uh, White Christmas. Oh. You think I'm that's sorry, like he best? wrote God Bless America. That's what he wrote. I think I prefer America. I don't know. I don't know what my favorite patriotic song is. I mean, I like Coming to America by Neil Diamond. It's a good one. Uh, I think White Christmas is incredible. Hmm. No, really? It's, a, it oh. is, it's great. Wow, it doesn't really do it for either one of you. It does, but not... <laughs> he not, says it's great, but you can't see his face. Not in the canon <laughs> of um, Christmas songs I love more, probably. Okay. What do you love more? 
Um, uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Great. Yeah, that's a good one. I really love that one. Um, Yeah, that's my favourite one, I think. Who wrote that? I don't know. That's really good. Yeah, I should look that up. Maybe Abba wrote it. Maybe. They might as well have. Yeah. (laughs) No, there's not enough, like, weird instrumentation in it. The background vocals aren't super jaunty, so they clearly didn't write it. It's not about a divorce, so... (laughs) Yeah. So, I wanted to mention that I saw The Martian last night. Yes. This new Matt Damon movie. The movie, not an actual Martian. Not an actual Martian. I would have a heart attack if you saw a real Martian. Nope, just Matt Damon going going at it again. And... um, (laughs) Abba factors into the movie a couple times, which surprised me. He gets off Mars when they show up. They in (laughs) the crystal prism Uh playing the the visitors. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're the visitors. That's the twist. Yeah. So how do they figure? Are you not allowed to say? There's like no, no. I I don't think it would give anything away. There's a one of Jessica Chastain plays uh, an astronaut, Uh and while she's on her spaceship. Her husband is showing her, oh, look, I got you some new records. And one of them is Abba Greatest Hits or something. And he holds oh. it up really big, and she's like, oh, yay. Well, you're not like, why don't you own that already? Right. Yeah. It's been a really long time. Clearly, I'm and not supposed also, to trust her as a character. How long, yeah. yeah, how long have you been on that ship for? Like, 57 years. <laughs> how bored were you? <laughs> and it's that, weird, it's that weird Greatest Hits from, like, after the second album. Oh, oh right. It's not right. even gold. It's, um, you know, it's got... It's just the one with the park bench. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's I love got that one, one man, one woman, mm-hmm. and stuff on it. And um, all those terrible songs from the first two records. Yeah, exactly. And then there's a whole sequence where Matt Damon is working on this space shuttle, and Waterloo is playing, and you get the whole song Waterloo. Wow. Yeah, and it's a whole sequence they cut around to people exercising and doing different stuff. Yeah, That's there's so a weird. long Waterloo sequence in this movie. Good for them. They I don't excited. have enough money. I know. Yeah. <laughs> they don't own enough sparkly suits. <laughs> you think they're still buying sparkly suits? I hope they are. Yeah. Every single year. Squared around the house. They just buy one once a year. They once go together. Year, yeah. They hold hands, Ben and Bjorn. I think like the 13th of April every year. The 13th of April? Yeah. They're probably the only ones who, I mean, I think they still probably hang out and work together. Maybe. I imagine Ani Freed like sometimes like knocks on the door. They pretend they're not home. Anyeta like Anyeta won't leave her horse farm. Yeah, she's got all the phone calls screened. Yeah, exactly. And they divert immediately to the police if any of them try to. Call them. <laughs> she has secret restraining orders that they don't. Very know about. public restraining orders. Yeah, but they still see. I imagine Benny and Bjorn are like always hanging out. They must. Oh, should I bring the casserole, or are you gonna make something? They're like um. Who is it? It's Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. Famously, every Sunday, I think. Or it might be every night. They hang out at one of their houses, they get food from some deli, and they sit around and watch TV. Oh, that's cool. That's what Ben and Bjorn are going to be doing when they're 90. That's like a weird kind of hell. Where it's like just (laughs) one day loops where you have to get like a pastrami sandwich Uh and go to Carl Reiner's house and like eat and watch TV. Or like if the pastrami's run out at your local deli, you're like, oh my god, what do I do? Yeah. It's going to be different. That's, it can't do it. It can't be different. That's a whole Curb Your Enthusiasm episode right yeah. there. Yeah, probably. That's what the whole thing reminded me of, something from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's real. Um, speaking of patriotism, I want to jump into the record. Yeah, let's There go. is one of the songs, I'm looking at the track listing, one of the songs sounds super patriotic at the beginning, and I forget which one it is. I think it's 
the king has lost his crown starts to sound like a... No! Uh, Love Light sounds like it's going to be a patriotic song. Because it's got that, like, soaring electric guitar. Uh And you're like, oh, we're going to sing about America. Yeah. And they don't. It would be funny if they made an American patriotic song. Yeah, that would be quite weird, wouldn't it? Yeah. But I wouldn't put it past them to do that. They would do something like that. Or Australia. Um, Just at the top, what did you think about the record? I really love the record. It's not my favorite record of theirs, but um, it's got a lot of moments that I really like, and it's generally not the singles, I think. I think you're right. How many stars would you give it out of five? No, rate it out of ten. Better scale. Seven. Seven. (gasps) What would you rate it? I might give it the same. Oh, my God. No, maybe I'd go seven and a half, actually. I think I like it as a whole enough to listen to it, but I would never, like, pick it as my favorite. Okay. Like, it's got some... It's a really excellent record, and the songs are all really, really great, but it's just not my favorite of theirs. What's your favorite? A Super Trooper, I think. Oh, coming up next. I have to say, I think I'm, I think I'm leaning into that boat as well. I've I been really listening to Super record. Trooper a lot. It's so good. It's so good. Like, when I was a, a kid, my father had, you know, Abba Gold, and he had, like, videos and stuff, and all... I think most of my favorite songs are from Super Trooper. I think Super Trooper, the song, might be my favorite yeah. recently. It's a really, really good, really, really good record. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is great. And these are tracks that you knew in the UK growing up. Like Vula Vu, you'd hear so much in like, you know, restaurants and bars and clubs. Really? And See, this I is l- what's so interesting that. is I feel like in America, I didn't grow up we listening don't have to a lot of all. We don't have yeah. like a... Well, these songs weren't really hits in the States, were they? Only two of them, I think, were top 40 in... Yeah. In the UK, they were quite big. Like, I Have a Dream is big. I hate that song <laughs> so much. But I really, really, really love Does Your Mother Know. I really love The King Has Lost His Crown and Angel Eyes and Voulez Vous. You've yet to name my three favorite songs from the record. Wow, what are yours? Chikatita. I would say As Good As New is one of my favorite songs as good as new is by good. ABBA ever. I love If It Wasn't For The Nights and Lovers Live A Little Longer. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I love if it wasn't for the nights because it's just so work a day. Yeah. They're just like, I'm just so tired at work. Like, I have meetings to go to. I have a long to-do list. I'm losing my temper. It's just because I'm up all night having sex. It's fun when they pretend to be the common man. Yeah. Like, another train, another town. Yeah. And money, money, money. Oh, yeah. It's like, you're fucking loaded. You're the richest (laughs) musicians in the world, probably. Well, liquid assets, though, really, isn't it? Because, I mean, they they were rich, but, I mean, they didn't have money in their bank accounts. It would all be with a label who was paying for the promotion. So, you know, you'd get an advance to buy, like, a house or whatever, but it's not like, you know, Madonna doesn't have $55 million in the bank. Elton John doesn't have $175 million in the bank. The idea of, like... They were everything was paid for, but they wouldn't maybe even have money to go and like pay for a crazy thing if they wanted to. Right. So you're so, an Abba wealth sympathizer, is what I'm I hearing. am. An Abba wealth sympathizer, <laughs> yeah. And I think like what when they talk about things like their daily routine and the slog and the the drill of things, like they were working really hard and they were yeah. working all the time, which is exactly the same as going to a you know, a monotonous job every single day Mm because you're getting up, you go to soundcheck, you hang around for hours and hours and hours and then you sing and then you go home potentially alone. So I think it's kind of like a weird, like metaphorically, it's exactly what they were going through, just like in the public eye. Yeah. That's why I've come to love Super Trooper, the song, so much. 
Oh, it's it's perfect. It says exactly what happens when you're on tour. Yeah. It's like you're miles away from people that you care about. You do a show where everyone thinks you're having the time of your life, and then you go home feeling exhausted and mm-hmm. alone. You go to sleep, wake up, and do exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's like yeah. that uh, that Roisin Murphy video for Overpowered that I love so much. Mm. Where she has this, like, she ends the video with this, like, over-the-top costume and everyone's cheering. And it's just, like, her taking off the... No, I don't even think she takes it off. I think she, like, gets on this weird costume on the bus and, like, goes home. Mm. And then just kind of gets ready for bed and goes to bed. Uh-huh. And it's, like, she's this over-the-top pop star. But, like, she takes the bus like everybody else. She yeah. has yeah. a house to go back to. Yeah. That's if you're, you know, performing in your own town. Yeah. <laughs> they They do say a lot, like in this book that I love so much that really weighs on my backpack, Mamma Mia, How Can I Resist You? Um, Benny and Bjorn talk a lot about... They don't talk about the things that they, like, oh, we went to this party, we were at this thing. They're oftentimes just saying, like, we hated touring, we avoided it. They're always talking about work. Yeah. So it mm-hmm. makes sense that a lot of their songs are just about, like, work and doing stuff because they attempted to have a normal life as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. And it's important to note with this record, this was one of the first records where they left Sweden to write and record. Where were they? They went to the Bahamas. Oh. Wow. Um, the obvious next destination. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had written, so they had been in their like little cottage, like the top part of their cottage in Malmo. And they'd heard about other bands going to other places like, Oh, we should do that. So they went to the Bahamas and they shipped a piano to the Bahamas. Oh my god. It's just, crazy. <laughs> just to songwrite. They had no recording equipment. Um, they did some songwriting there. And they're like, while we're in the Bahamas, let's go to Miami. So they went to Miami, which is where some disco records would be made. And they had the... I think their American label was Atlantic. And Atlantic sent Foxy, the band, down to be their backing band. Foxy? Yeah. They had a hit called Get... Get new or something like that. Can't remember off the top of my head, but um, they were like, "Let's just try working with other people." Yeah. So this is the first time they were out of their comfort zone, and Benny hates that they tried disco. I mean, and they really tried disco. Yeah. Well, the shame about that is that it actually sounds really cool with them. You know, like disco really does suit their melodies and their voices. Yeah. I think it does date the record a bit in ways that other songs of theirs haven't dated quite as much. Huh. But I really like it. And it's, you know, it is a really fun record. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's not my favorite one of theirs, because it's it's very fun and it's very kind of upbeat. I have a dream I have such an intense (laughs) problem with in the way that I have an intense problem with Thank You For The Music. (gasps) Oh, Oh, I can't. They were the songs that you had to sing in choir in school. Oh, and they're just so really? God, you're the luckiest schoolboy. Like, I can't cope. Yeah. It's like the, the overexposure factor, and, like, it's just so nice. Yeah. I, I can stand picture it. a bunch of 10-year-old boys singing. Well, it was a mixed a school, so, you know. Oh, okay. okay. You know, there were girls as boys well. Boys and girls. Um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, you have those compared to things like Voulez-vous or, like, The Winner Takes It All. And there's just such a increased depth to like those tracks right, to right. compared to the two that I have a problem with. I'm aware that they're good songs. I'm aware that they're very well written and they're classics, and you can't fault them. Right. But I just have such an aversion to them. I have a dream is is a little like a. It's not one of my favorite ballads of theirs. No. It's kind of a B it's ballad. Pretty dreadful. For me. Yeah. There's I don't know if you know this, but there's a song that I know because of Sesame Street. You know the song Sing. Sing, canta, 
Sing a song, no, you know the song. No, it's the face, the face. It's like a late '70s song that was on Sesame Street, and I think of it as like so insipid. Mm. Yeah. And every time I hear "I Have a Dream," it reminds me of that. It's like the same dumb chord changes, the same dumb melody. What I didn't know was that they like donated "I Have a Dream" to UNICEF. Uh, because oh. 1979 was the International Year of the Child. Wow. And to this day, UNICEF still gets, like, profits well, and royalties good. because of that song. That's Maybe good. that explains why it was a choir number yeah, when you were a kid. I guess they so, were yeah. trying to push it to the One to of the them, youth. I think it was Benny, didn't even realize that he sent his uh, his kids to the same school where the kids who sang on the record did. It wasn't until oh. later he was like, oh, he would wow. walk through the hallway of school was like, wait a second. This was the school where the children sang on the track. Wow. wow. I mean, it's a dumb song. I have it's, a dream. It's not a dumb song. It's just like... You can say it's dumb. It's a little No, I, d- I really don't think it is dumb. I just really don't like it. Um, I just find it too twee, I think. Yeah. yeah. Especially with like the production and the little sitar sound. It's just too like George Harrison for yeah, me. Or, like, yeah, yeah, It's just not in a world that I'm happiest with music. It, mm-hmm. for in, And especially in terms of like their production and their songs yeah it's just like not in my favorite bracket it really yeah. sticks out on the record too like yes. this would make sense on like and it's the second you can track put it on arrival right? third, third track third track which is yeah. so weird they they always do this they often do this <laughs> they all the track they sometimes do like, this they've like, been known to do this <laughs> yeah but the, they'll start so strong or they'll give you two tracks up front that it's just party time mm-hmm. and then totally just grind it to a halt yeah with a with a big ballad like this but here's sometimes that's cool though here's like super trooper winner takes it all is is pretty rad yeah but this is a little it, it stops the momentum i think of this record i'm surprised that you i mean i think that you probably group i have a dream and thank you for the music in the same like you put them in the same camp because you were overexposed to them in the same way but I think of I Have a Dream as, like, just, like, very campfire. Where, like, Thank You for the Music is such a torch song. Like, that's something where, like, I just want to wear, like, a lavalier and, like, lay across a piano. Oh, my God. Will you wear a lavalier and lay across a piano and sing this? I don't even know what lavalier is. Oh, God. <laughs> I, just, I just can't ever hear Thank You for the Music again. Oh, wow. I really don't like it. Okay. I'm well, sorry. One thing that we're a firm believer in here at Vulebu is not forcing people to listen to Thank You for the Music. (laughs) Here's what I'll say about the disco. I think I hear what you're saying when you say it dates it, but I think all of the disco here is slightly off. Mm. But not in a way where you're like, oh, they got it weird, or like they kind of misunderstood the genre. I think there's like moves that they make songwriting-wise. We're like, this is a disco song. It has like the same disco rhythms, but it definitely has uh, the same like songwriting modules that ABBA brings to the table. It's right. also mixed like an ABBA song. It's not mixed like a disco song. So, you know, like if you listen to classic disco tracks and then listen to the ABBA tracks, it still sounds like them and it yeah. still sounds quite Scandinavian, I think, mm-hmm. despite whatever American influence was in it. Mm-hmm. I think Gimme Gimme and Lay All Your Love On Me in particular feel like sort of straight disco hits but the way they're mixed is uh is much more abba and the way the vocals factor in too those those harmonies in the chorus of gimme gimme i think are so 
ABBA and so different than any other disco records. Yeah. I mean, Gimme Gimme is a really great track. That one reminds me is like the most straightaway disco one. Just because it has like the longer intro, it has the longer outro. Mm. It's like what? And the octave bass stuff. Yeah. More yeah, disco. Yeah. It's a full Hallmarks. four minutes and 52 seconds, and they they never drag songs out that long. Um, and, and something that long reminds me of, like, a real dance floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As good as new, production-wise, like, mix-wise, sounds a little more straight disco to me. The way the guitars played, that little kind of riff yeah. when the band kicks in, that's a little more uh, like Casey and the Sunshine Band or something. Than it is ABBA, Some but then the, those choruses are so distinctly them. Like that string how thing. can you have that weird baroque sounding string section? Yeah, and then it's like comes in with that weird bass line. Not ba- it's like a disco bass line, but it's way too fast. Yeah, I mean the song must be like one thirty two bp. I don't even know. It's like way too fast for disco. And then there's like the weird pre-chorus, and then the chorus comes in, and it's like all those harmonies. It's a great like, it doesn't make mm. sense as a song, but it's so perfectly done. Yeah. That song feels very precarious, where it feels like at any second the structure or the song already moves could break, and it doesn't break. I could listen to As Good As New all day long. American critics did not like that on stage Bjorn said it was about the Agneta. He said oh. that on stage? Yeah. Like, when they played concerts. They had their one and only American tour right after this record. Really? So this record came out in March 1979. Anita and Bjorn divorced in January 1979. But, apparently, everyone said things were better. They're like, <laughs> oh, this is so much better now that they broke up. Wow. Because now he could give her direction as a professional, and she didn't take it personally. Right, mm-hmm. right. How weird, though, to be singing a song about yourself. Yeah, you and it happened all the time with them. Yeah. I just find it so amazing that those two women could sing flawlessly when having to sing about themselves. Yeah. And really, like, owning the tracks. I think I think that's really an achievement that very few people give them credit for. Yeah. They were so professional. That's yeah. what I'm always baffled by, is they... I don't know if it's because they're just, like, magically four different people who had a totally different outtake. I don't know if it's because they're Swedish and they have a totally different outtake on music, but they just seem like... So, like, we're here to get a job done. Mm-hmm. We're here to make the best possible music, and the ref- like any wreckage that happens along the way doesn't matter as long as we make good music. I think with them, like, there's a really big balance between work and emotion, because all the songs are actually about things. There's nothing really, like, trite in their writing. Mm-hmm. Even the songs that I'm not keen on, like, I Have a Dream and Thank You for the Music, I don't believe that they kind of just created a song for the sake of making a hit or whatever you know like there's Mm -hmm. there's enough human in all of their music that it really feels like it came from a place where they had a reason to write the song Mm -hmm. but it's all done so professionally and like the delivery of it all is so meticulous and it's perfect the mixing is perfect you know watching footage of them in studio where they're like double tracking drum kits there's like two drum kits there's there's just so much genius into how they put the songs together that there's such like work ethic but there's also so much human spirit in it as well and I don't think many other people get that balance yeah in the way that they do yeah it's unusual because I think their songs sometimes go from like they've talked about in this book sometimes songs go from like they have an image and they're just writing around that image and then there's times where they've just written a song that sounds really good and they have no idea what the words are 
And they're like, well, we just have to find words to fit in this very particular rhythm. Mm -hmm. So they just squeeze words in that yeah. like make the most amount of sense. And then sometimes they're just like wholesaling different parts of songs that didn't work and kind of cramming them together, which is like a very xenomania way of working. But that's still a very, you know, creative way of doing it because to, to make lines from different things fit, you really have to have an understanding of like lyrics and storytelling. You can't just have like something about a death and something about, uh, you know, a, a rainbow changing color right. and like, I don't know, a slug right and make that into a song right you there's such like there's such genius to fitting random things together and like making this like tapestry right like that's really cool yeah I, I think. think it requires letting go too yeah like, if something doesn't work they're just willing to be like well this doesn't work like that I like that lyric but it doesn't work towards making mm -hmm. the song make sense so I'll just get rid of it Benny and Bjorn say like, they're just people who wanted to make songs. They were proper musicians before they did ABBA. Mm. And they were just always about making the best possible song. And and something I think we take for granted maybe these days is bands turned over records so much more quickly so in fast. this time period. And when you look at how quickly they were making these records, it's kind of uh, dizzying. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, Voulez-Vous is what? Two years... One year One after year, yeah. the album. And if you actually read the entry and lots of the text about them, it's like, it, it took them a whole year to make this album. Right. Like, that right. was them right. struggling and finding it really slow. And that's just so different. Like, yeah. I know that people like Elton John and David Bowie, they were turning around, like, three records a year. And, yeah. Um, Kate Bush had her first two or three records came out very, mm -hmm. very succinctly. That's largely because Lionheart, though, was based off of her demo. She had, like, 81 songs, I think, before she did wow. her first record, The Kick Inside. And the Lionheart, or Lionheart, is just a lot of her demos that mm. she recorded really quickly. But I think that also Not to just be a Kate speaks... Bush nerd. <laughs> I think it also just speaks to the fact that songwriting is like anything else, and it gets better, and you get quicker and more adept at doing it the more that you do it. And the idea of... I need to sit around for five years and wait to be inspired, and then I'll make my second album. It's like, no, just keep working. But These saying? guys were... And, I, I mean, I guess that's why you have the highs and the lows that you have, too, in some of these records. Because if you're writing that much music in such a short span of time, it's not all going to be gold. But so much of it is. But isn't it interesting? I think that, like, the paradigm we think of with bands is that they're early and mid stuff was great and their late stuff was weird and not good These and always a band just keeps getting better mm -hmm. it's like yeah. they keep understanding the process and themselves better and better yeah because their early stuff is not super great like there's like gems in there where like oh I'd pull this one or two or these three or four songs but like Voulez-Vous the only song I would take off of it that I would just have to take off is I Have a Dream. That's the only song that I would take off as well. The King Has Lost His Crown is not my favorite. It's weird enough to oh, keep... Oh, I really like that one. I think Why do you cool. like that one? Um, Just because it's not as direct as the singles, I mm. think. That's you know, weird. Like, after a while, the, the kind of genius of how concise and direct the songs are in terms of the singles can wear you down a bit because they're so clever and they're so... There's no fat. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have a song that has like a little bit of a, a less standard type of melody or, yeah. or chorus. You know, it's like it's not going to be a hit. 
but it's cool to hear them singing those kind of songs and they have like a little bit more space yeah and it shows you that they're not just a hit machine they are actually constructing songs that are not going to blow up the radio but they're still making songs that are good that they still believe in you know it's like looking at pop writers and their history or whatever you know about the hits but you don't know about the non-hits yeah mm-hmm. so it's cool to be able to see within the album tracks the non-hits I think this is my one of my favorite records because I think the non-hits are so unusually great like, yeah they're really strong if it wasn't for the nights and lovers live a little longer are so like those are two of my favorite ABBA songs yeah. and they described if it wasn't for the nights in this book as they were trying to explain to these Miami like studio musicians like this is how it feels, and they had no context for understanding because I think they described it like, oh, it's like a big band song. And there's something kind of Lawrence Welkie about it. Yeah. Because it's got that weird, like, cascading piano line and um, that, like, jaunty piano. Like, everything is, like, kind of jaunty in a way that doesn't match disco. Right. Because um, disco is just supposed to be very cool and sleek and sophisticated, and ABBA was pulling from all these different genres that American bands were just used to, like, kind of doing one or two things. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny to me that they would that they would cut a record with kind of a straight up disco band. I mean maybe I guess that was the point. Well, they cut it and then took it back to Stockholm and then re-recorded yeah, yeah. or recorded over most of it. Oh, really? Yeah, they're like, oh. "Oh, you can hear like the original stuff like way way in the back." When did they build their studio? Is that this record or is it the one before this? They started recording at Polar on this record. Before that, okay. they were like vying for studio time. Right. And this one, they're like, oh, finally we had months where we could just book the entire thing because they were working out of Because I, I think this one, sonically, has some moments that are among their strongest. And I think Super Trooper and The Visitors sound incredible. Yeah. The way they're mixed and produced. And I, I'm assuming that's because they were in their own space and had more control over the gear and all that kind of stuff. There's some of the songs in here where I can't tell. Like, some of their stuff is very chordy, where you're like, I'm moving from this cool chord to this other unusual chord. Some of these, I just can't tell what they're doing musically. Mm. Like, and I think that's a good thing. Like, um, the chorus of Lovers Live a Little Longer, it's just like these weird dissonant guitars and they're mm-hmm. shrieking, mm-hmm. which I love, because it's this idea where, like, when you're in love, science proves that you actually live longer than other people. <laughs> But they're, like, screaming, and it's these discordant guitars. Like, it doesn't make sense yeah. as a song. Um, what else does science prove? Science proves that you live longer when you're in love. That's what they say. Lovers live a little longer. So I, I think of it as, like, they just read an article in, like, Slate. Study a show. Yeah. And they're like, I just read that people in love actually live 2% longer, so why don't we fall in love? But they're, like, screaming it, so it sounds like a threat. Like, it yeah. doesn't even sound like in the invitation to love. It's just, like you better love me because we'll live longer. It's it's terrifying, but it's a great mm. song. Um, also, Summer Night City, which was not in the original, but in, on an issue, reissue. That one is weird, too, because I'm like, what chord is this? Just, like, all these moving parts. Yeah. This is the record where I feel like Ace of Bass stole the most number of song titles. Angel Eyes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just those two. Does Angel Ace of Bass have a song called Voulez-vous? They have a song called Voulez-vous, Dancer. Yeah. Really? Yes. Voulez-vous, Dancer. And they say Dancer. Yeah. How gauche. They have, they have <laughs> a lot of very original pronunciations in the Ace of Bass catalogue. Mm. Like what? Um, at one point it sounds like they're pronouncing Care-Chair. Care-Chair? Yeah. What song? And uh, in the sign and also it sounds like they're saying, Is Enough Enough? <laughs> Is they're it enough? Speaking, Who knows? 
Who knows? I had such... I have such a deep love for Ace of Base. <gasps> Tell us about it. Like, this... Well, you called it the sign over here. Happy Nation US version of <laughs> in the UK is one of my favorite records. It's great. It's There's not a amazing. bad song on it. No. I even like that kind of, like, weird, like, neo-Nazi dance numbers with, like, the sirens and the horns. And, Which like, one is that? Like, like, Fashion Party and My Mind. Are, like, oh, we don't have it. and insane. You do. Happy Nation US version doesn't have it. It does. I bought the cassette twice. I have I it on vinyl from. from the US. It does. The sign has... Someone tricked yes. you. A drug dealer tricked you. <laughs> no, it doesn't have fashion, fashion party, you're right, but it does have my mind, I think. My mind, the mind does mix. Yeah, there's a weird, weird... Yeah. Ma- I never listened to that one, because I think the album... What's the song after Voulez Vous Danser? Uh, Dancer in a Daydream, perhaps? Yes, after Dancer in a Daydream, I stopped. Because there's like two going, keep going. Um, yeah, fashion party. Oh, God, it's so insane. It's like... Because Ulf used to be a neo-Nazi. I know. Really? Um, yes, the blonde one. I had such a crush on him. He was so hot. Um... There's, yeah, so the Jenny sings, like, blue-eyed Connie Walker was a fashion model. You lose her. And then he goes, confess. You look at her. Confess. You want to be with her. Confess. And it's like, no! while the siren is going like, and it's the most horrifying thing. And it's called Fashion this is Party. On the same album and it as ends the with smashing glass. Oh, my God. It's amazing. What's it Whoa. on? It's on that album. Oh, the, but in your the, version. The non-US version, yeah, it's absolutely horrifying but it's amazing and it starts with these like really menacing strings like I played it at a club in London a couple of years ago and people were like oh who is this like new song I'm like it's Ace of Base like, <laughs> it's a neo-Nazi Ace of Base it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if they kept that one from us in the yeah. States they were like we, we can't but we the, can't sully their the amazing thing is that the album sold 28 million copies worldwide so at least 21 million of those have that version on that. So 21 million people have been terrified by this, like, horrific anthem for, like, stalking a model. Wow. Oh, my God. So brilliant. Lots of the first few records are really great. The bridge is great. I was obsessed with that as a child, yeah. And Flower is really good. We call it uh, Cruel Summer here in the U.S. You do call it Cruel Summer. Oh, Cruel Summer is a great song. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not theirs. It's a cover. It's a Banana Rama Is it? It's Banana Rama? Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. You don't like that record? I did at the time, but with hindsight, I mean, God. It sounds not, very 60s. It's not the sign, is it? No, it's, and it's not The Bridge. No, Which it's is not like the their bridge. singer-songwriter album. Yes. <laughs> but, that, but that was dark, you know, in the way that, like, ABBA had this, like, strange darkness to a lot of their lyrics. So did, like, Lynn's songs are quite... They're um, so dark. ...piercing. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Whispers in Blindness. <laughs> that and, song is um, so bad. Just an image... Just an image with an apostrophe mm. either side of the N. So just, it's like, just mm. and image. There is so many... That sounds There are so many things wrong with that record. I'm but driving through the night, I'm driving through the rain. Steve asked a big question on Facebook. It was huge. Which was, before we get to the one you're about to get into, what is better, Gimme, 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 or Madonna's Hung Up? Oh, yeah. What do you say? Um, Gimme, 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 but I think that her use of that sample was 
really excellent. I think it was really cool and it was a real... You could tell that it was used with love, actually. I think it was a very smart sample and I think it was used perfectly. Yeah. I knew Hung Up first before I knew Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. How old are you? Whoa. I'm 28. <laughs> wow. But I, I, I got into ABBA when I was like 17 or 18. It took me a long time. Because they're not as... It's not a thing How here. It's not like a classic up? rock staple. No, true. It's just interesting to hear that because it is such a... It's a famous riff, you know, even if you haven't... Right. Didn't know the song. Right. But that's, that's interesting. Yeah, hmm. Hung Up was what? Was that the Ray of Light record? No. No, it was Confessions on a Dance Floor. 2000 and something was... It's like 2005, I think. Mm. So this is... She did I, it with It's probably Price. right around when I first got into Alba mm. Gold. Huh. Wow. And I, but I, th- I knew Hung Up because it was on the radio and I heard it around and I always liked that song. I heard it in Turkmenistan and saw it on Russian MTV. It's so wonderful to me hearing somebody in a cool Brooklyn band say that they knew a Madonna version rather than the other (laughs) version. So refreshing. I really, I've always liked that. They split royalties with their 50-50. She did wow. it to sample. They, um, in order to like get it cleared, she did almost the whole, she didn't even demo it. She did the full thing. And then sent over someone with the song and a personal handwritten note by Madonna to Stockholm to sit down and listen to it. And they were like, yeah, it was a good thing she did the whole thing and not just a demo, otherwise maybe we wouldn't have been convinced. But like, yeah, wow. it was really great. We thought she liked it and they split it 50-50. I don't know. Is that how royalties work when you sample that heavily? Uh, it, the percentage can change, I think, but there's definitely like a writing credit attributed. If, if it's a sample, like the original writers are included in the writers for the track. Yeah. So then the proportions are... Uh, yeah, and that's well. pretty significant. That's, that's really sample. glorious. It, yeah, it, it makes the song. Yeah. I also um, would say I prefer Gimme Gimme, but I like Hung Up a lot. I just think Gimme Gimme is like, that's untouchable, that song. Benny said incredible. it was a good thing she used the instrumental because that's the only good part of the song. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he, Shit. He like really, Benny's interesting. I mean, he's like, you know, the like Rolf the Muppet on the piano mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. But he was like, oh, I was really happy doing these weird non-mainstream things. Like he loved the fact that they did I Have a Dream. He loved the fact they did um, money, money, money. Like, he just loved it. Like, he was like, oh, no one's going to expect us to do this. And so when they did something that felt very disco-ish, he was like, oh, it's a selling out. So, yeah. of course, he was like, I just take the one good part of this sellout song we did. Our, our friend I, Sean I also love, thinks Hung Up is better. I love the vocals mm-hmm. on the chorus of Gimme Gimme. The, yeah, the arrangement and the way they're mixed, the whole thing is so good. My favorite part is, like, after that, like, instrumental... After, like, the second chorus, mm-hmm. the middle eight, as you call it, in the mm-hmm. UK, when, I don't know who it is, I assume it's Anita, who goes, There's not a soul out there! And she's, like, so breathless. And then when she sings, uh, No One to Hear My Prayer, she, she sounds, like, like, super like she's strong. raising hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's literally summoning Satan to come and, like, <laughs> ravage her. Sort it out. I think maybe ravage, yeah. I don't know.
think of this song as so similar to The Visitors, in that it's like a, a like a disconsolate female in the middle of the night, just like leaning out the window, being like, ah! <laughs> like <laughs> screaming for reprieve, uh-huh. but not really yeah, knowing. Ravenous, yeah, exactly. Frisky woman. Yeah, I mean, The Visitors is also like a song where it's like I'm discontent, but I'm not really sure what it is or why it is. Yeah. I she, think this she really knows and gimme 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 though. Yeah, yeah, she just wants very a specifically a man. She knows just a how man. to remedy this problem. It's surprising that Grinder hasn't like optioned this as its theme song. Oh god. Imagine. <laughs> That's a good idea. Every time you start it up it's like do 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 every time you get a message, yeah, yeah. your notification and behind the grinder basket flashes between one of the other faces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like between the four. Yeah. Some weird amalgamation of them all. Um, so the three questions, I asked three different questions. Uh, okay. One was about the show Friends. Two was about <laughs> what's better, hung up or gimme, gimme, gimme. Uh-huh. Sean says hung up. Would you say gimme, gimme, gimme or hung gimme, up? Gimme, gimme, gimme. What do you gimme, say? I would say gimme, gimme, yeah. gimme. I think Madonna's version is transcendent, but it's only transcendent because it riffs off the original mm-hmm. so originally. It's a hell of a chorus, though. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a chorus. Uh, and then the third question I asked on Facebook and on Twitter, and we got quite a number of responses was what of a song should bright light bright light cover and i've heard you cover a couple songs i heard you do kate bush's love and anger mm-hmm. which i love because i feel like that's one of my favorite kate bush songs yeah that me too don't know. i love that song is it actually your favorite um yeah i think it is i think it's my favorite one of hers i have like so many favorites of her songs but that one is really oh i don't know it's like so sad but it's also so full of hope and it just becomes so alive, and with the chorus chanting, it really makes me feel like the world is coming together. I love that record. When it's like all the background people oh, chanting, like it's amazing. What would we do you? It's so good. It's so good. Though. She's someone who's also very adult, and the sensual world is also very adult. Where it's about like the mm-hmm. tension between like desire and loss, and like mm-hmm. compromise and wanting. I love that record. Yeah, that's my. It's my joint favorite album of all time. What's the joint? What's the other one? Behavior by Pet Shop Boys. Oh, good. Very similar in tone, you know, autumnal gorgeousness, dealing with lots of like struggles and issues, but very beautiful. I guess the question is, do you have a Kate Bush tattoo like I do? No. Do you have a Kate Bush tattoo in the pipeline like I also do? No. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) What are your three favorite ABBA songs? We didn't even ask that. Um, when it takes it all. Hmm. Um, do you say that because it's your number one, or did that just come to mind quickly? I think that's my number one song of theirs. Um, Super Trooper. Hmm. I re I really can't decide what the third hmm. one is, but those two are definitely like two yeah. of my favorites. We did forget to mention that. Does your mother know Zach's favorite ABBA song is on this record? That's one of mine as well, and I don't normally like the male voice taking the lead, but mm-hmm. there's something about that track that I think is amazingly cool Bjorn does Bjorn pretends that he was like oh I wrote it because I read this article about older men liking younger women I don't remember what the article was about yeah Yeah. it was a newspaper article yeah I'm sure he was out Mm -hmm. at a club and there was some young filly sure trying to get in his pants young horses are always in clubs these days Mm -hmm. I'm gonna Um, say that as my third actually because the the little breakdown bit take it easy take it it's so so cool yeah yeah those three then that that reminds me of like a Xenomania song where they like cobble these weird bits that don't make sense together and you're like, makes a great pop song. That's why I love it so much. It's it's the perfect combo to me of their kind of classic rock and roll tendencies mm-hmm. and yes. the disco thing. 
Because that yeah. bass line and some of the breakdowns feel very disco. Yeah. But the song, the the feeling of the song generally is kind of that old uh, hole in your soul kind of mm-hmm. rock and roll screamer. Oh, God, you know I love that song. And I like his vocal on it a lot. And yeah. the girls sound great. The background stuff is so good. It's it's a really well produced track. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. Um, so the question about what song should Bright Light, Bright Light cover, do you want to read the responses to it and then respond to them, or do you want to say what you would cover first? Um, I would probably opt to cover something like, um, When It Takes It All. Mm. Um, but it's a very hard song to cover. What's that? What a performance. What a performance. In the footsteps of Foot Faith Hill, when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I have to watch that. Is that any good? I don't know. I just remember in what the... What do you think? In the... Christ. <laughs> oh, they mentioned it in the NPR article that, like, no one realizes how difficult it is to sing ABBA songs until someone they're, else actually they're sings They're really them. hard to sing. They're, yeah. You know, they, the range is insane, and, like, the delivery is very hard to better or even match, I think. Yeah. Like, I Faith would... Hill, who's a competent, mm-hmm. you know, traditional singer, like, sings it, and they're like... Oh God, she's good, and she's <laughs> wrecking this incredible song. Yeah. I, I was struck by "Winner Takes It All" during "Mamma Mia" the musical because it's it's such an eleven o'clock number, and they wisely place it as an eleven o'clock number in the show. Yeah, and it, you really do need a kind of a musical theater belter to sing that one. Yeah, because it's very emotional and a lot of big notes. It really should be like a Judy Garland number or something. I wonder if we can hire a really good that. Judy Garland impersonator to cover Winner Takes It All. Liza would do a nice job with it. Winner Takes It All. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some cabaret <laughs> singer needs to cover that. I don't want to talk. <laughs> I don't so want to talk. Oh, I really like Lay All You Love On Me as well. Oh. Yeah. That's my favorite of all time. Lay All You Love On Me would kill it as a cover in a live set. People would flip. They would either think it was yours if they didn't know it. Or can you imagine? Like, I love that song of yours. It's so cool. But like, thanks. It's <laughs> Those are really good American accents. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess it, the question is, do you choose something that already sounds very close to what you do? Or do you take something of theirs and you distort it to make it sound more like your sound? Or do you just try to make it sound like ABBA? No, there's no point trying to make it sound like ABBA, I don't think. Usually I try and do something that is quite different to what I do, but um, fits my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Kate Bush one, it was a bit of a risk, really, because it's my favorite song of hers, and and her voice is perfect. Did she bring it up when you said across from her? No. Interesting. No. Um, but I, I don't know. It's it's a tricky one with covers. Usually it's something more for the listener than for myself. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know. I, I find doing covers really hard. I find singing other people's songs very hard. Yeah. I have a really hard time remembering other people's lyrics mm-hmm. for a start and then trying to, I don't know, trying to do something different enough but also similar enough that people care about it. Mm-hmm. It's quite, it's a tricky thing. Our friend Sean says he thinks you should cover Knowing Me, Knowing You. Yes or no? No. <laughs> Why? Uh, that song was kind of ruined by Alan Partridge for me, I think. <laughs> Because he did, it, like, Partridge, a parody, right? Like a comedy, yeah. Oh, really? Comedy's character in the UK. It's, it's a very good character, but it's a gross character, and uh-huh. I can't listen to that song. Someone else, uh, whose name is The Bullfriend, at his name is Ox, says, when all is said and done. 
Um, wouldn't immediately choose that one. No, who would? It sounds so much like something you'd sing in a stadium. Mm-hmm. It's Maybe also I'll just... sing it, like, on my deathbed. <laughs> you know? Broad, if on your like deathbed really, you were, like, really had this, like, cascading, and, like, like, not giving a fuck about anything anymore, I'd just start singing it to myself and just slowly drift away. Deathbed covers. But yeah. no one could ever tell what it was, because that beginning cascading vocal, if you were just in bed, like, Oh, he's he's he's, gone. he's dead. Yeah, she's gone. They wouldn't realize that you were doing that weird, like, multi-track, <laughs> like, soprano, angelic voice. I love that song. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not sure I'm with the bullfriend when he says that. Martin Jones at Chiff Chat says, The Day Before You Came. Potentially. But I don't know. Choosing a cover, like, the context is really important, you know? So choosing a cover that is going to bring, like, a gasp of, like, oh, my God, I never expected that. Right. But to an audience, that would also recognize it. Yeah. Yeah, if you go too deep, you run the risk of people not realizing that you're singing And then it falls flat. Yeah, that's true. Uh, He also suggests The Visitors. Yeah, again. That one's tough. Because it's got so many parts to it. That's tough. You would really have to reimagine that, which could be fun. There's also songs that don't really work without the harmonies and all vocal arrangements. So for me doing it, I would have to do it with like other singers. And then that adds a completely different dimension. Yeah. I think that's a one because it's so ethereal. Like it's about like alien. I always think that song is about aliens, but that's also because I want to believe in creepy shit. Uh, the, the it more, relies on the ethereal production, like yes. on those weird synthesizers and like the drums and like the multi-track vocals and the play between the male vocals and the female ones. Like that's hard for you to just like pull out your piano and be like, "Today I'm doing the visitors." Yeah, <laughs> get ready. An acoustic. That's why the, the more the more we're talking about this, the more I think Leo, your love on me is kind of a perfect cover because, or winner takes it all. Yeah, because they're both reliant on like the melody, uh-huh. not just. Melody plus harmony. I and think. you could take either of those and do some really different production stuff, and they would still be recognizable, and they would still hold up. Mm. You wouldn't lose the quality of the songs. What about Tiger? Pable says Tiger. The city is a nightmare. You're bad at a horrible man. dream. <laughs> I don't know Tiger. I am behind you. Whatever I do, I am the tiger. It's from Arrival. It's great. Or is it from Abba the Album? It's from Abba the Album. I don't really like talking about being an animal, so... <laughs> I have a... Uh, I have an aversion to, like, really strong um, imagery like that in songs. It makes me feel really sick. <laughs> That's how I feel about Eagle. I would just love to hear you sing a song about an animal and just, like, vomiting into oh, the microphone through the whole thing. it's just so, like, it thing. makes me cringe to my very soul. Like, <laughs> I am a tiger. It's like, you're fucking not. <laughs> I just can't. I can't do it. it. There's like a part of me that just can't let that go. <laughs> Fair enough. At alchemy underscore Jones says, if it wasn't for the Knights, seems like a perfectly sensible choice. Based on his language, he sounds like he's a Brit. I mean, yeah, like that's a cool song and that would be, that would be a good song to do, I think. Because hmm. like the theme is really cool. The thing that seems weird is I think when you cover, when you do a cover, it should be not a lot of work. Because like, if you're going into the studio and you're producing and you're multi-tracking, you should do it on your stuff. But oftentimes if you're doing covers, like you're like, it's going to be me and an instrument. You want it to be as little fuss as possible. And some of these just rely on like the fuss of a studio. 
I'm the city relies on the fuss of the studio to make it. I mean, you could do something in the way that James Blake did "Limit to Your Love," which is very sparse and very beautiful. But again, that's a lot of work. You know, that's like not many songs lend themselves to being that sparse, and I don't think a lot of ABBA songs lend themselves to being particularly sparsely arranged. Hmm. Unless, like, you know, with a couple that we've mentioned, the lyrics and the melody are so direct that everything else around it can be quite simple. But, like, with a lot of their work, you can really tell that there's so much interplay between the production and the vocals. And there's really cool arrangement that it's hard to strip a song like that down and make it very bare bones. But that's interesting because it's not like their melodies by themselves. When you sing them, you're like, well, that's dead. No, that's, that's exactly. boring, right? But to hear like a cover version of it, like somebody singing it is very different from someone doing their own version of it. So I think like to make it anywhere near as magical, like all of those vocals are in there for a reason. Mm. So it's hard. Like a, a lot of my favorite songs of theirs do have like the killer harmony factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And without that, it's kind of a bit, some of the like sheen and magic is lost. Would you ever do an album cover? Um, I've never really thought about it because so many of their classic songs have been covered so often mm. that I've never really felt the need to try, you know? Have you heard the Bjork cover of Dancing Queen? When she was a child? Or was it recent? I think it was like at a... It's it a sounds like thing. a sound check. Yeah. No, I haven't. It's weird. My favorite <laughs> cover that she's done is like... There was a video of her playing in a little bar in Paris and she sings No Limits by Two Unlimited. Oh, really? It's her and a pianist. They go crazy. And at the end, she's like, there absolutely are no limits. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) (laughs) But that's true. That seems like a really good motto for her. Wasn't there? I think you need to cover that Ace of Base song with the... uh... Yeah, yeah, fashion, fashion party, party, oh my god, yeah. and then immediately get put in prison. Up, I have to say, I'm really surprised that you guys did not love Vulivu as much as I do. It really is like probably. I, re- I really favorite. like it. I really like it. The the same. It's like I really like it. I can't really fault it other than I have a dream, but it's just not. It doesn't excite me or move me or break my heart or whatever in ways that other albums do. Hmm. Other than, there are some favorites on this record for sure. Yeah. But as an album, it's not. I, I think I still probably like Arrival best up to this point so as an album. But I think I'm about to... Mm. You're about to here peak. on out, it's pretty fantastic. But also, you know, I really love the artwork for Super Trooper as well. There's something about like, yeah. the way it all looks and feels to me that just mm-hmm. sways me towards that rather than this. Like, the album cover is great, Ugh. but it's just not my favorite. I mean, it's interesting that you say great. I think in, I'm going to pull it out, the Robert Scott book, he has a great description of what the cover of Ulibu looks like. It's like a crystal pyramid with sparkles, and then there's just like a, a, line a BMP dragged into Microsoft paintbrush in the uh-huh. middle of it, of them standing in like a club. It kind of looks like a portrait studio photograph from the mall. Yeah. In the early But 90s. I mean, that's kind of fabulous, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, in its way. Oh, here it is. Okay, he says, The cover shot was intended to present Bjorn, and again, this is from ABBA, Thank You for the Music, by Robert Scott, who we hope joins our podcast one day. Mm -hmm. 
The cover shot was intended to present Bjorn, Benny, and Nieta and Frida as, quote, sophisticated nightclubbers. But in fact, they look decidedly tacky and more like a quartet of suburbanites warming up for an exciting evening of key swapping. <laughs> but that does definitely fit in with the themes of some of the tracks, I think. Yeah, they're sweatier for example, you and know, lustier. If it wasn't for the night, like, it mm-hmm. kind of looks like they could be slightly like uncool people trying to be sophisticated and have a great yeah. time, but they're, they're really not. I have to go back to the secretarial pool tomorrow, but I'm so tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's a nice belt. <laughs> Broad's review of the Voulez-Vous cover is there's a nice there's belt. A nice belt. There's a nice belt. It's definitely not the best picture of any of them by a long shot. I think the Super Trooper cover tells that story. It's great. Oh, it's so really, it's really it's cool, and it also does kind of capture the elation on stage, but the darkness around it is yeah. really like what exists outside the stage. It's perfect, and I think it's. It really does make me love that album so much more than I love mm-hmm. this one. I mm-hmm. did not notice that there's a laser beam shooting through the photo and but, the cover album, and Benny seems to be holding, holding it. it. <laughs> there's like really? a laser beam. No. <laughs> Wait a minute. This looks like a Photoshop job. But they didn't have oh, it, so Benny. how did they do it? Oh, I mean, there was image manipulation. It just wasn't Photoshop. How'd they do it? It looks like he's holding a lightsaber. Yeah. Oh, God. If you Photoshop the image of Benny holding a lightsaber that shoots through the entire cover album art... Killing his ex-wife. Killing his ex-wife, Anita. <laughs> please. <gasps> that reminds me of the, really... Avril, of the Avril Lavigne fan theory in Brazil that she was killed in 2004 and replaced with someone else. Wow. Yeah. Imagine if such a non-consequential pop star had that <laughs> happen to them. Yeah. Be like, quick, let's kill Alicia Dixon and replace her with someone. The world cannot know. Or like know. Delta Good Drum. Or like... <laughs> She's big in Australia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, exactly. My friend sent me the most amazing text of the day saying like, oh my God, I'm in an airport and there's a woman whose t-shirt, the entire t-shirt is Delta Good Drum's face. I'm like, one, where did she get that? Yeah. Two, why would you choose her? Three... Where can I get one? Yeah, exactly. So amazing. Like, yeah. printing, like, absolutely forgotten f- celebrities all over yourself. But she's still doing pop music. I'm and sure she's doing she great is. music. You're, we're going to force you to listen to Delta Good Drums. Please, please. Um, you are. I'm absolutely You're not. leaving. You're <laughs> screaming as you run away. Um, thank you so much for being here to talk about Voulez-Vous for so long. Of course. Thanks for having me. Rod um, Thomas, check out Bright Light, Bright Light, if you have not he already. Has a, I say this all the time to Rod, but you really do have a million records in that you have two proper LPs, correct? Mm-hmm. But you also are releasing live stuff, B-sides, singles, all the time. Cool. I I always describe Rod as doing like the work of a real pop star in 2015. You've always got something for fans, which is great. One does one's best. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about yourself like you're the queen. <laughs> a queen. A queen, precisely. So thank you so much. As we always say, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at VuliVuCast on Twitter. How do and we follow you, Rod? BrightLightX2. All of my socials are BrightLightX2, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, YouTube, whatever, BrightLightX2. Cool. What about if people want to look at pictures of your face, Zach? How would they find those? My face? Your face. It's Zach Jones Music, Z-A-C-H Jones Music. There you go. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at There's Thunder. I 
probably don't tweet very much that's interesting. So you should really just follow Cast. So for all of us here at Voulez-Vous, thank you for the music. The songs we're singing. For all the joy that we're have these like really vivid daydreams that Ace of Base would be touring through Wisconsin and their tour bus would break down right outside our house and so they're like they would like tromp down our gravel driveway down the hill to our house and be like oh our bus broke down and they would be like can we use your phone to call so they'd call and be like we can't make it to the gig our bus broke down my mom would be like I guess we'll just play here drive you yeah, well, she was like, well, we're making barbecue chicken and salad like we do every Saturday. Why don't you stay? So then they'd make barbecue chicken, but it wouldn't be revealed yet that I was a fan. And then over dinner, my mom would be like, Steve, you love Ace of Base. Why don't you sing one of their songs for them? And they'd oh be like, my God, you're you a imagine? fan. I was like, and then you start singing I was Fashion 11. Party. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. wow, Confess. he is a fan. Confess. <laughs> well, this is, I would sing like, I don't know, Happy Nation or whatever, or like Wheel of Fortune. Uh-huh. And what would happen is they would conspiratorially, like, whisper to each other, uh-huh. and then Jenny would member. be like, we've actually been looking for a fifth member. <laughs> Will you go on tour with us? And my mom and dad in my daydream would be like, it's what you've always wanted. <laughs> so 11-year-old Steve would go on stage, and I would be the third singer with the two Swedish females wow. as an 11-year-old. That would be so amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> Weirdly enough, it never happened. Their bus never broke down in rural Wisconsin. (sighs)